Welcome back to JRFM. Up next, Core on Deck. Core on Deck. Brought to you by your friendly drill crew. Welcome to episode 3 of This is Science, Expedition 378. The Geordie's Resolution is a scientific research vessel with one purpose in mind. To drill into the seabed floor and recover cores of sediment that were laid down millions of years ago so that it can be studied. When it is on an expedition like 378, it operates... 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it doesn't matter what time of year it is. Christmas, Easter, your birthday. You still have a 12-hour shift to do. And once it's on site, this applies to the drilling and recovering of the core sediments too. That doesn't stop. Now it can take a different amount of time to recover a core, depending on what kind of material you're drilling into, like, is it hard rock, is it mud, is it soft sediment, and depending on the depths that it's been recovered from. The drill bit is lowered down and punches out the core, which is then recovered back up to the ship. And once it gets to the drill floor, one of the drill team uses the intercom to say just three words that set off a series of events. Core on deck. Core on deck is a special thing on the JR. Uh, It is exciting for the first core and gets less and less exciting every core after that. But depends on how fast I come up. Core on deck for us means time to go. We get outside, get all our stuff on, and it means another core another exciting opportunity for science to happen. Uh, My name's Dan Marone, and I'm a seagoing technician supporting the science staff on the JR. Now, Dan was inspired early in geology through tagging along on field trips and going to the labs that his parents work in. He went on to get a bachelor's degree in geophysics. My mom works as a paleoceanographer, and she's actually sailed on the JR multiple times. And my dad works in a geophysics lab, research lab. Yeah, she she was the one who got me and steered me towards the JR. She said, oh, you'd love it after I graduated and haven't looked back since. As a C-Flex employee, Dan works two months on, two months off. So half his year is on this boat. All of the techs on board are highly skilled. And while their main focus is on processing the cores, they also have other duties too. All of our primary duties are to receive core, be a core lab technician, and facilitate the core flow throughout the lab. And all of us techs are then broken into different secondary positions mine being underway and downhole, 
underway in downhole tech involves all of our remote sensing and data collection. So whether we're towing the magnetometer and collecting data behind the boat, or we send instruments down into the hole to collect data, this is not something that we're collecting directly from the cores that we bring up, but instead we are sensing remotely. The bathymetry, for example, sends a sound pulse from our sonar dome and receives that signal, and then we can map the depth of the seafloor as we travel. That's something we run while we're in transit. So Dan makes sure that all this equipment is working well and collecting this extra data that scientists can use. It's just another way to maximize the scientific value of the ship as it's traveling across the oceans. So the magnetometer can read the magnetic field direction of the seabed floor. This can help age it. And the bathymetry readings can give us a picture of the depth and features of the seabed floor. But as Dan said, his primary role is to help with core flow, the processing of the cores in the core lab, and helping the scientists to achieve their goals. So once that core on deck gets called, and it's go time for the techs, what are the first steps? So yeah, we, we get a little warning. Whatever you're doing, you drop what you're doing, put on your helmet, and head to the catwalk. The rig floor guys will be pulling the core out of the core barrel that just came up from the seafloor, and they hand it off to us to bring it down on the catwalk. The core comes up 10 meters long. Ideally, we cut it up into seven 1.5-meter sections and bring those in directly to the laser engraver. The first thing that happens out on the catwalk is we label the sections with marker. The second thing that happens is we label the sections with the laser engraver. The third thing that happens is we label the sections with stickers. So you kind of get where I'm going here. It's easy to get mixed up, but we do our best to keep everything in order. As well as a whole lot of labeling, the other thing that happens first up is sampling by scientists. Now, the details of the sampling on the catwalk will vary depending on what the scientists want to find out. And the techs will work with that. On our expedition... The first people to get their eager little fingers on some core were the chemists and the micropaleontologists. So when the core comes up, they call core on deck, core on deck. And we uh, run to where the core is coming out of the drill pipe and collect our samples. And our goal in the chemistry lab is to analyze the pore waters as quickly as possible. Uh, because when you bring the sediment and water up from the seafloor, uh, and the seafloor, it's about two degrees Celsius and under a lot of pressure, under a thousand meters of water or so. Once you bring it up to this temperature and pressure, it's going to start changing. So our goal is to analyze it as fast as possible to get the chemistry of what was happening on the seafloor. Anne Dunley is an assistant scientist at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. She studies paleooceanography and biogeochemistry. Paleoceanography is, paleo is the past and oceanography is the study of the ocean. So the study of the ocean in the past. And we like our prefixes. So biogeochemistry is interdisciplinary research. It's not just chemistry, not just biology, not just geology. It's all three of them put together. Each discipline, chemistry, geology, and biology, were advanced a lot uh, individually. And 
I think some of the greatest discoveries can be found at the intersection of all three. So Anne is interested in what the chemistry of this pore water is. The water trapped in the sediment mud that is interacting with the sediment. And how they get this out of the core, I think it's kind of cool. Right when the core comes out, we get a little piece of the core with mud. So we pop that mud out of the liner and we put it in a squeezer. And the squeezer is a cylinder with a piston on top that applies up to 25,000 pounds of pressure onto the sediment. And there's a little hole in the cylinder that where the water comes out and it's put through a filter and we Basically, yeah, we, we use 25,000 pounds of pressure to squeeze water out of the sediment. Uh, that's, well, that's the first technique. The second technique is using a, kind of a straw with a filter on the end and attaching a syringe and pulling the syringe out to create suction and sucking up water directly from the core through a filter into a syringe. So we can either squeeze it out or suck it out. After all the water is squeezed out, the sediment that's been under 25,000 pounds of pressure looks like a hockey puck with all the water squeezed out, and we call it a squeeze cake. It's hard not to smile (laughs) while saying squeeze cake. (laughs) While on the catwalk, Anne will also take another sample of core. This one is to check for gases and has a pretty important function. Yeah, so every single core that we drilled, uh, if we had not been to that depth before, we have to take what's called a headspace sample, where we take a bit of sediment or a plug of sediment and put that in a vial and clamp it shut and heat that vial so it releases the gases within that sediment. And then we measure the gases that come out of the sediment to track that we are nowhere near an oil reservoir and um, drilling that part of the sediment will be safe. Because we are not an oil rig. (laughs) We are, yeah, we try and stay away from that. So, Anne grabs her samples to either squeeze or suck water out of, or to heat up and check for gases that could warn of potential dangers. And at the same time that Anne is working away in the chemistry lab, another group are also working away on an early sample of core. The biostratigraphers, as well as the paleomagnetists, are the keepers of time for the expedition. And so everyone wants to know how old their rocks are when they're they're taking them away to study them. So the work that we do is, is fairly critical. This is Chris. My name's Chris Hollis. I'm a research scientist at GNS Science in Lower Hutt, New Zealand. I'm a paleoclimate scientist and a paleontologist, so I study the geological record of past climate change. Chris studies single-celled plankton called radiolaria, which I get the impression he thinks might be the best-looking fossils. Okay, so I study radiolaria which are um, a group of plankton that live in the oceans, live in the oceans today, and they have shells of silica or glass, opaline silica. Very ornate shells, um, 
some would say they're the most attractive microfossil group to study. Are you one of those people? Well, they're, they're quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do they look like? Uh, the variations on spheres and um, discs and bells and um, uh, all manner of things. They're about a th- most of them are around a third of a millimetre in size, so you've got to use a microscope to study them. Radiolaria have been around for 400 million years. So there are many different types and the species of radiolaria have changed and altered throughout time. They're really diverse. They live in different parts of the ocean. So the different ones that live in different parts of the ocean tell you something about... If you find them in a rock, they tell you something about what what kind of environment that rock was formed in. And, And the whole reason that we study plankton is because there's millions of them. So... Um, for big fossils, it's hard to get a good collection of fossils because they're few and far between. But with microscopic fossils, you can get thousands of them in a small bit of marine sedimentary rock. Chris is part of a team of biostratigraphers on board. They age the sediments based on the biological markers of these microfossils. They're also called micropaleontologists, and each one of them is looking out for their favourite kind of microfossil. So there's three different groups within the biostratigraphy team. There's the radiolarian specialists, the, the 4AM specialists, and the nanofossil specialists. So they all have different, different ways of processing the samples. The nanofossil specialist will just get a toothpick and take a little bit of sample and put it straight on a slide. Um, we'll wash it and dissolve all uh, everything other than the radiolarians by using acids. And the 4AM people will just wash wash the sample through a sieve and, and look at what they get. Uh, and then we um, all trundle off to our microscopes and l- try and identify the fossils that we see. And it's a race, and the nanofossil specialists always win, except when the sediments are non-calcareous. When non-calcareous means no, no, no calcium carbonate, so none of the material, no nanof- calcareous nanofossils or, or foraminifera. So we'll have to rely on the radiolarians then. The aim of the exercise, the reason we get the samples first, is because we need to know where we are as to whether we keep drilling or whether we've reached our target. And so we are expected to have an age for the expedition leaders within... 30 minutes of the core coming on deck so that the drillers know whether they should carry on or not. Um, and although the nanofossil dates will come out first, they're not necessarily the right dates. So until you get all three fossil groups up on the board and us standing around looking at those dates and coming to some agreement as to which ones we believe, you know, we, we, we're not sure. Stepping away from the microscopes and back to the core lab. What's happening next? Well, after the labelling and sampling on the catwalk, the cores are left on these racks for four hours to equilibrate so that they can get up to room temperature. Cores brought up from different depths in the seabed floor will have different temperatures, and the different temperatures might affect the readings of what's coming next. So, four hours, everything levels out. 
Then the cores are run through a series of machines. They call this running tracks. And this takes lots of different measurements of the entire whole round intact core. So they will x-ray the core, they'll measure its density, they'll measure its natural gamma radiation, and all of this information feeds into a database, collecting information about the core. After that, they're ready for splitting. After the cores get run through the whole round tracks and all the whole round physical properties data is collected and checked, we can then bring the core into the splitting room and split it into its working and archive half. So the splitting, depending on how soft the material is, we will either split with a wire, some call it a cheese cutter, or we will split it with the super saw once the material gets a lot harder. So once we split a core, it's then designated one half for working and one half for archive. This is to preserve the core so that not just scientists on board get a chance to sample, but so that scientists into the future get a chance to look at these cores, sample them, describe them. The working half is the half that gets sampled, picked through, measured upon. The archive half is completely undisturbed. It gets described, put away, and sent back to the repository. The system is precise here. So once they get designated working in archive halves, that core flow gets more complicated, but also more organized. So the working half will go to the working half table, and the archive half will go to the archive half table. And never the two shall meet. Now both the working and archive halves will go under the careful scrutiny of the core describers, who will describe the core in as much detail as possible. So they'll write down what color it is, what features they can see, what they think it's made of. They might take smear samples of soft sediment or thin sections of harder rock and look at these under the microscope. They might do chemical analysis on the different materials they find. But any of these samples that they take will be taken from that working half. And all of these samples will be carefully labelled with that working half, section, core, number, and position. And any leftover parts from samples will be allocated to scientists, because this is really precious material. Both halves will also get run through the superconducting rock magnetometer. This is a machine that reads the magnetic field direction of the rock or sediment. Because... And this is pretty cool. While right now the magnetic field of Earth goes from north to south, and we call this normal, it hasn't always been like this. The Earth's magnetic field can flip. And it has done numerous times in the geological past. So from the magnetometer, we get a result that kind of looks like a barcode, with normal and reverse magnetic fields across time. And lining this up with what is already known helps to date the cores, especially when that information is put alongside the work of those biostratigraphers. 
And with that, the processing of the cores is finished. So once they're finished, we wrap the cores up in glad wrap, basically. I mean, it, it is glad wrap. <laughs> Very scientific. Um, but this is for the sediment cores to prevent them from drying out. We want to preserve them as much as possible. Once they dry out, sampling's not as good. The color leaves. You lose a lot of the material that was originally there. Um, but we wrap them up, and we put them in D-tubes, and then we box them up in 10 core halves to a box, and we put them in the reefer to stay cold, to keep their moisture, keep them as fresh as possible for when they get sent back. Now, of course, while all this processing is happening, and it takes several hours, remember, the ship doesn't stop drilling. So there are new cores coming up all the time. And I wanted to know what it was like for Tex, who have to be there to collect the cores from the catwalk, and then also have to keep an eye on the processing and core flow through the lab. Because we had some days on our expedition when we were drilling in the upper part of the seabed, where the sediment was quite soft, and it was very fast. I suppose there was like three days, maybe, that were like super full on. Pretty much every 20 minutes there was a new core coming up. And do you get expeditions where that's happening the majority of the time? Yeah, so we actually recently had an expedition like that that was fairly brutal towards the end when we have very shallow water sites and a lot of sites that are very close together, so there's not a lot of break in between to travel from site to site. Core comes up very fast, and it's tough. It gets really, really exhausting after a while. Okay, and what keeps you motivated or going when it's super busy like that? Is it just like, this is the job and it needs to get done? Is it kind of a teamwork aspect? Or is it like, I don't know, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it for science. Like, Yeah, I think it's it's that the last thing that you mentioned. And even when the going gets tough and you get really busy, everyone kind of holds each other up and you know that this is important work and the scientists are very grateful. So it's nice kind of having that positive reinforcement from them when you're really bringing up something that they're truly excited about. I think anyone who sails out here should should really believe that every expedition, every core that we bring up is important because not only is it these scientists livelihood it's their work but it's a record for the earth's history and it's a collection of samples that's going to last many years into the future for future generations to look at this is why dan and the other techs and the scientists on board take such care and work with such precision with the cores This is why they spend their time before getting on drill site, training in core flow in the lab, and working out the choreography of how these sections will move through the lab space. It's because they know how important it is to get this information. Now, I've known many a messy scientist that have totally disorganized personal lives, 
you know, like their room is a mess, they show up late to everything, they leave things behind them. But in the lab, misplace a tube, an experiment fails. Mix up a label, and a sample becomes useless. In the core lab, in any lab, precision and organization are key components of what is science. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Science, Expedition 378. I'm Claire Kincannon, a Science Outreach Projects Coordinator at Otago Museum in Dunedin, New Zealand. This podcast is brought to you by the International Ocean Discovery Programme and especially the Australian-New Zealand Consortium of the Programme, who are supporting me to be here. Thanks also to GNS Science New Zealand and Otago Museum for their support. The intro music was created by the amazing Molly Devine. Check out her new music on Spotify. And the audio beds were created by the super-talented Perry Hyde. Thanks so much, Perry. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word about it. Tell your family, your friends, your pets, your neighbours, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next one. You can find out more about the Geordies Resolution and Expedition 378 at www.geordiesresolution.org. See you next time. Kakite anō.